0: Hi, welcome to Quiet Connection, where we're ending the stigma on postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea, and today I got to chat with Heather, a mom of twins who suffered a pretty traumatic birth that led to her postpartum mental health disorders. Let's jump right in and let Heather tell her story. Hello, I am here with Heather. Hi, Heather. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. I'm so happy to have you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. All right.
1: So a little about me. Um, I think one of the interesting parts is is I always see my life in two pieces. There's like pre-Mom Heather and then there's like Mom Heather. Um, So pre-Mom Heather, I was um, brought up in a home with both parents present. Uh, which I think is super important as to how this all kind of flows through my life. Um, Just because they were together doesn't mean that it was happy, but it was a home with two parents present. Um, I had an older brother who was two years older than me. I was a great student. I went to college immediately after high school. I did four years. I got my bachelor's degree and then I started moving into uh, the working world where I spent about three or four years working and I decided to get my master's. Um, so I worked through that while, um, you know, working full time. During that part of my life, I uh, got married and I was with this person uh, for about 10 years before we ended up getting divorced. We tried for three of those years to, uh, get pregnant and have children and, uh, went through the whole infertility cycle of what does that look like and what's going on. And, um, part of the reason that that ended in divorce was that we had done a lot of testing as to who or what could potentially be going on that would be causing infertility. And, um, yeah, it just—he uh, wasn't open to wanting to make any moves on his side, and for me, that was like a a want in my life. So we ended up uh, getting divorced, and that was tough for me. Um, but it was definitely something that I needed to do to choose myself. I met the the man that I am married to now, um, in this journey of figuring out who I was, and. I was able to come into this relationship with a lot of like boundaries and um, expectations that were realistic um, and not kind of like this picture that you get in your head um, of what a perfect fairy tale of a life would look like. So from there, uh, we decided that, uh, of course, it was during COVID. We were like, hey, you know, like we're all locked up at home and whatever, like we should try to have a baby. And I was very anxious about trying again because of the infertility experience. But we went to the doctor. I had my um, birth control, my IUD taken out and we tried for six months. And I was really frustrated that we weren't pregnant yet. And I was starting to fall into that like anxiety, depression of like, am I experiencing infertility? Was this like more than what meets the eye? And um the following month we found out that we were pregnant. Um we also had gotten engaged in this like month's time. So oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. We got engaged um on December third, New Year's Eve of uh 2020 to 2021. Um and on January 11th, we found out we were pregnant. And so, as you can imagine, we were so excited. And it finally, to me, it felt like, oh, finally, and I can breathe. And so now, as a mom, right, as like this person, we went to the doctors a few days later. We're doing the ultrasound, and she's like, um, Heather, uh, there's two. And I was like, what? And she oh my was like, gosh. uh, gosh yeah there's twins like there's two sacks two babies two heartbeats like there's two and I like I don't know what I was feeling I was just like oh my god oh oh no like uh, there was so much going through my head and like Andrew he played it so cool he was like wow that's really exciting blah 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 and I was like um yeah like this is insane We ended up like overall, like we, we, we get out to the car and we kind of process through like, holy crap, like we're having twins. And, um, as, like, fun as that sounds, like, a lot of people think, like, oh, twins, like, that's so awesome, like, two, one and done, like, all of this stuff. Um, We had kind of envisioned this place where, like, we only wanted to have one baby. Like, we were like, oh, we're going to have one kid and put a whole lot of energy into them. Um, And then we also were, like, financially, like, one kid makes sense for us. Like, all of these pieces that we had already kind of processed through and, like, decided on. And then fate comes in and, like, takes you for a turn. Yeah. And so we were like – so yeah, so we went through this whole piece of like um, like kind of mourning the, uh, the idea that we had in our head, right? And you have to mm-hmm. reimagine your life. So that was kind of the first place where I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Like I wasn't expecting that to feel – there was this excitement of we're going to have two babies, right? But then there was also this like fear of like, oh my God, we're going to have two babies. And especially
0: after experiencing infertility for so long. Right.
1: That's how I became a mom. So pre-mom Heather uh, is very, was very like outgoing, total extrovert. I fed off of the people around me, I was always um, positive and happy and outgoing. I have traveled, uh, I would say, to probably 15 different countries. I've experienced life through so many lenses, and I was very outgoing and like just so happy to be alive. Um, And then post mom, uh, and I would also say post COVID, like post becoming a mom, post COVID, um, that looks a lot different for me now. And so now I'm a little bit, I'm still extroverted. I still love to be around people, but I'm very picky about who I spend my time with. Um, I love to travel, but I haven't traveled since the twins were born. And that's mostly because I'm trying to uh, choose them first. Um, which I think is like really important to being a mom. And so their routine and their schedule and their life comes far before mine right now. And there will be a day that like I can, you know, toss one of them on my back and the other in a stroller and we can go do something. Or when they can, you know, take off running and we can go on a hike together or get on an airplane together. But for right now, it's just focusing on them and their needs. How old are the twins now? So they are 18 months old. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
0: That that's a tough age just to have one.
1: Yeah, and the you know the interesting thing that people may or may not understand about multiples, which I think is fun, is that there's some things that are incredibly hard, and then there's other things that are actually so much easier because there's two of them. So <laughs> they play really good independently because they play together.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: so it's never like, you know, they're not like constantly coming over and like ripping on my pant leg to like come and play because they have each other. I have worked very hard because of my education on teaching them, like we don't put hands on, that we're kind to each other, um, that this is how, you know, we play together. And that's taken a lot of leading by example and sitting on the floor and doing those things. But doing that for the last six months has created this wonderful environment where they do that on their own.
0: Oh, and so, so it's really
1: nice. Yeah. And they learn, um, they do go to daycare because I do work, uh, full time and so does my husband. And so they have learned in their classroom, uh, which they, the way that their classroom is set up, they're not, they're in a center-based, ed, uh, education, um, Based childcare, and Mm -hmm. so the great part about that is actually pre COVID, I was part of like the design of this childcare center. So I know like what their food program looks like, which their curriculum looks like, what toys they have available. So that's really exciting to me that I was able to be on that side of it and know what they're getting. Yeah, Um, yeah, like it's it made me feel super secure about sending them to daycare because they didn't go to daycare until they were a year old. Okay. Um, That portion of it. So from like a year old until now, like they've had so much example of how to play together that it's kind of given me a lot of independence this like last two months and it just keeps getting better and it feels Uh. so good. But when they're both throwing up sick or they're both having ear infections or they both want cuddles and they don't want the other one near them because they, you know, need someone on one time with mom or dad, it's really hard because you have to be like, nope, like, we have to share this too. Like, we share everything from Mm -hmm. bath water to sippy cups to mom and dad. Like, we share everything. and. Part of you, uh, as a mom, feels really guilty that they don't get a lot of that one-on-one that you think your child like deserves, that one-on-one attention, but they've also never known life without each other, so there's right. a little bit
0: of at least comfort behind that. So when in this whole journey, which is a big journey to begin with, and started out unexpected... Um, When did you start to notice that something might be off in terms of how you were feeling and maybe, maybe like it wasn't just those first day baby blues?
1: Yeah, so the interesting part about this is I think the process started long before they were born. And that was because um, I, of the traumatic pregnancy that came with them. So when I was about 12 weeks, uh, first off, when I was eight weeks, they were like, we're going to have you come back in at 12 weeks for an ultrasound to just make sure there's only two. And I was like, what does that mean? And Whoa. because they were two eggs and two placentas and two babies, there's still a chance that if you're having multiples naturally that they could still divide. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? So they wanted to make sure that was Wasn't going to happen, and and thankfully it didn't. We were we had two, but so that conversation. I don't think my first off, I wasn't prepared for the twins anyway. Like I was expecting one and got two. Yeah, so I wasn't expecting two, and I certainly wasn't expecting more than that. So from eight weeks to twelve weeks pregnant, that that month of time, I was stuck in this thought of like, what if I because. There's also the, the conversation of like, can you handle this? Can your body handle this? What does this look like? And I'm sitting there wondering like, what if we have to terminate a baby? What mm. if we have to terminate multiple babies? Like what if this is – and like my – and I, I don't even know how I feel about that. Theoretically, book-wise, it feels one way. But when you're actually in the moment and this is a potential conversation – it, it feels completely different. And so I was like, I don't even know how I feel about all of this. So for four weeks, I really just stewed in my feelings and I couldn't even enjoy being pregnant. Not mm. to mention the fact that like there was, you know, morning sickness and all of this stuff. Like I had waited probably eight years for this to happen and it was finally here and now I was like stressed about it. It wasn't even like, oh, yay, we're pregnant. It was like, what are we going to do? Yeah. So um, so that was the first time. So during this, um, after I found out that there was only two, I set up a time to talk to a therapist. And I was just like, look, I already have anxiety. Like, I was already diagnosed with anxiety previous to this. So how, what can I do to be proactive about postpartum and and all this other stuff? And she was like, keep seeing your therapist, keep doing your counseling and just talk about the things that come up. So I spent a good portion of my pregnancy, like every other week talking to a therapist about what was going on in my head. The time that I started to realize that this was going to be really tough was um, I found out I was pregnant um, early January and I had to of course you have to do things a lot different. So like a lot of people have their baby showers like in the last 2 months of their pregnancies. Right. I had to have mine like around 20 to 25 weeks. So Right
0: because you were having multiples, you didn't know when you would go.
1: Right. And there's like such and I was also um diabetic, so there was like this high risk of like things that you know medically could be going on so it was like look we need to you need to take it easy so um you know while everybody has these like really wonderful like baby showers where they're super pregnant I I looked like I was 30 weeks uh because there were multiples but um I don't look like everyone else did so you kind of grieve that um and you're like oh okay like but here we are. So like, you know, nesting kicks in early, all of these things kick in early and it was July and it was so hot that I couldn't even bear to be outside. Um, fun fact, when you have twins or when you have a baby, the water in your body like doubles and so does the blood in your body. Right. So when you Mm -hmm. have twins, it triples. Oh my God. So, you've got all of this extra like water weight and, and you're like, I, my veins were like popping out of my arms. There was so much blood flowing through my body and I could not even stand to be hot. I couldn't stand to like, I was having a hard time breathing because there was so much baby inside of me. Yeah. Um. So I, it was the first week of August. It was actually the second day of August and I, um, Was just, I had been crying because I couldn't even do laundry. I couldn't clean my house because I couldn't bend over. I was, uh, I would have been 30 weeks and I was measuring 37 weeks. So I was measuring seven weeks ahead. And I was just like, I couldn't do anything. And it was like, well, you can like lay in your bed. And I was like, oh, well, so I had this beautiful summer in my mind of like, of course, I was teaching then. So I had the whole summer off. So I had this like picture in my mind that I was going to be like this happy pregnant lady at the beach. And I was just miserable laying in front of an air conditioner crying. And I was like, okay, so this is not what I was expecting. So I was walking through that with my um, therapist and then uh, a friend of mine was like, Hey, I couldn't drive. I was too big to safely sit behind a steering wheel because I'm I'm short of stature. I'm only five foot. So when you're that big, um, it, you j- I just couldn't safely sit in a car. I couldn't, you know, not being the driver. So um, a friend of mine was like, I'm going to come pick you up. We're going to go swimming. Like, we're going to get you in some cool water. Like, I was like, I'm hot. I'm miserable. And on her way, it, to my house I was like okay I'm gonna go get my bathing suit on I went in the bathroom and I sat down to go pee uh before I put my bathing suit on and my water broke oh or I my gosh say one of my waters broke because fun info when you have twins you have two waters yeah and yeah. I didn't know that even as somebody who is pregnant with twins I guess I didn't like put those pieces together so um so one my water twin broke. was
0: like I'm ready to go
1: yeah, at thirty weeks. Uh, oh my and, gosh. Well, thirty one weeks, and the other one was like perfectly intact. So I got excited. I was like, "Oh my god, my water broke!" But I'm also scared. Um, so we get into the car. My friend shows up. Like we finish getting the car seats like installed in the car because. Uh, We had the bases installed. We just had to put the actual car seats in. So we get those in. We grab my hospital bag. We get in the car. We drive to the hospital. We get there and they're like, okay, so one of your water's broke. The other one's intact. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. But they were like, so hey, just so you know, like you can't go home. And I was like, What? Like, I figured they'd send me home until the babies were ready, right? Right. And they were like, no, um, we're going to have to put you in an ambulance and send you down to Dartmouth-Hitchcock, which is the larger medical center. Um, And they were like, we're going to have to, you're going to have to stay there until the babies are born. And I was like, wait, what? And they said, yeah, it could be, um, they'll induce you as early as 34 weeks, which was still three weeks out, um, or they can keep you there until your full term, which was eight weeks away.
0: Oh, my so, goodness.
1: Yeah. I was like, what? Right? And I was like, I don't – I didn't even know how to comprehend this. So they load me into an ambulance um, and they send me down to that hospital. And I was having some pain, um, but I, I had associated it with the fact that like, hey, I just had a water break. You know, yeah. like, whatever. So we get to the hospital. They get me checked in and they're like, oh, we're going to bring you down to ultrasound and see how things are going. And so I'm having active contractions. And they're like, whoa, 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 like we need to do everything we can to keep these babies in. So they put me on medicine to like stop the contractions, to keep the babies in. I'm on like antibiotics. I ended up having to do like an iron infusion. And so I, for three weeks, um, well, two weeks solid, uh, it was almost three, but two weeks I just laid there in a hospital bed alone. Um, my husband was there for for the first few days. And then it was like, look, like you, we didn't want to waste his paternity leave. So we were like, I was like, you go home and you work and like, I'll just be here. So yeah. um, we would call and video chat and whatever. But I was like having anxiety. I was having anxiety attacks where I was like crying to the point of like hysterics. And like, I was unable to like breathe through it. And I was like, just curled up in my hospital bed crying. So like interesting part to this, and this like plays kind of an integral role to the birth story. um, They had me in a med surge bed, which is like a typical hospital bed instead of a delivery bed because um, I was so far out from delivering. Right. Um, So I was just like down in the corner in this like, you know, regular little hospital room and all of these people are like, having their babies and you're seeing babies come rolling by the door and like pregnant moms coming and going and you're literally like the resident in the hospital you're like oh my god there goes another family there goes another family right and it was so hard and I was like when is like when is my turn but I also know I need to keep these babies in as long as possible I also um kind of psychologically set myself up to like don't complain like they're busy because you see these nurses running around, right? Yeah. Don't complain. They're busy. Just, you know, do your time. So I'm like just focused on a timeline of getting to 34 weeks. And the doctors came in and they said, you know, we can schedule a C-section on 34 weeks. And I said, I want to go to 34 weeks in one day, which was August 16th. Um, so I was like, this is what we're doing. We're going to get to August 16th. And so I was – just like counting down the days. I had little sticky notes. I would peel one off every day. And my day consisted of literally waking up, taking a shower, eating breakfast, taking a shower. Cause like showering was the only thing that took the pain away. And then I'd like eat lunch, take a shower. I'd go for a little walk. I'd eat dinner. I'd take a shower. I'd go to bed. And on top of it, I hadn't slept well because of, um, at this point, both of my hips were displaced, so there was a lot of pain. And so oh. I hadn't slept through the night probably since mid-July. And, and so nobody, I to the can hospital- in-
0: nobody can sleep in a hospital.
1: No. And so when you get to the hospital, they're coming in and checking your vitals like every three hours or whatever. So there was no sleeping and I had anxiety. I was so exhausted. Um, And so I knew that like, I knew then that I was experiencing stuff. So they were having a therapist come into my room and like talk to me. And I even then like started to judge myself like, wow, you can't even experience like the happiest thing on earth, which is giving birth to your child without needing a therapist." Right. Like I started judging myself. I was like, wow, like you're a really good mom already. Right. And getting Uh, in my own head. And I was like, but I wasn't saying that to the therapist. I was keeping that thought to myself because I was like, that's ridiculous. I know it is, but I'm still thinking it. Right. Which is where the trigger of like postpartum hits. It's like logically, you know that that's not true, but emotionally, you cannot stop yourself from feeling that way. Exactly. So that's where it started to hit the most. Um, I had a really bad anxiety attack one night. It was a Tuesday night, horrible anxiety attack to the point that the the therapist said, I think you should call your husband and I think he should um, come down and start his paternity leave now. You need him now more than you're going to need him later. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So I called her and or I called him and I said, you need to come down. So he came down that morning. He, he called his boss and then headed down. So he stayed that, that next night with me and I was having anxiety. I couldn't sleep. And a nurse came in and she was really helpful. And I said to her, I said, I don't know what to expect. Like if, when I go into, cause at this point I was five or six days out from the C-section. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what, what do I do? What should I expect? And she was like, oh, and so she sat in a rocking chair at like 11 o'clock at night, talking me through my anxiety, telling me exactly what to expect, what what signs are if something's going right or if it's going wrong, and like all of these things, right? So I felt really good about that. And the next morning, um, I got up and I – got in the shower and I told, I told Andrew, my husband, I was like, I, I I feel like crap. Like I don't feel good. But like everyone had heard me say this a million times at this point. And I felt like I was just a broken record. So he was like rubbing my back as I'm showering. And then I went to go and sit down and it, like, I kept saying like, it, it doesn't, I don't feel good. Like I just feel like crap. So they started doing stress tests and whatever. And This went on from 6 o'clock in the morning until about 2 in the afternoon. And at 2 o'clock, the doctors came in to check on me. And I say finally, but, like, they weren't expecting this any more than I was, right? So, And, of course, I also wasn't complaining because my – my, again, my mind had told me, like, stop complaining, you're okay.
0: Right, you were already guilting yourself.
1: Yeah, so I was, like, telling myself that I had no right to be complaining, that, like, other people here were in way worse situations than I was, because they were actually giving birth, and you're just sitting here as an incubator, you know, so, like, they're in more pain than you. Um, mm-hmm. so that was really tough for me. Um, but I, I finally did complain and I said, Hey, like, can, can I be checked or something? Cause at this point I hadn't been checked in a few days cause I hadn't, I wasn't even dilated. Um, so they came in and they went to go and check me. And, uh, the next thing I know there is sirens going off, um, the, the, late, the nurse is hitting buttons over my head. There was a whole wall of buttons over my head. She's hitting buttons. There's alarms going off saying, clear the halls, clear the halls. Oh and I'm like God. panicking, right? And the doctor looks at me and she says, Heather, we're going to an emergency C-section. There's a baby in your vagina. And I was oh like, "Oh my gosh!" yeah, I had no idea that what the pain I was experiencing was actually labor for the last 11 days that oh I wasn't complaining gosh, about. Heather. <laughs> no clue. At all. I honestly didn't. Um, I've got to be honest when I say this, I've passed several kidney stones. And so it felt like a kidney stone. So that's what I thought was going on. Just yeah, I, I, up. similar.
0: <laughs> I, had, I had kidney stones five days before my first was born. And I can tell you, I could tell you that I think the kidney stones were almost worse.
1: Yes, because labor happens in, like, 90-second, like, increments, and kidney stones just, like, keep hurting. Yeah. So, like – So, yeah, I it don't just, blame you. I thought it was moving. Like, I just thought the kidney stone was moving, right? So, whatever. <laughs> so, I was, like <laughs> – yeah, I just I, – I wasn't going to complain about it. So um, we went into – they had me on a med surge bed, as I had said. So this is where this kind of plays a role, right? To check me, they didn't have stirrups or anything. So they had, like, raised me up on, like, a bedpan. Um, mm-hmm. And so now I'm cruising down the hallway, like, raised up on a bedpan and, like, three or four blankets. Um they're, they wouldn't let my husband come with me because they needed him to gown up and everything, right? So like, I have no idea what's going on. We get into the the operating room. They're moving me around. They're like, how are we going to get her on this bed? And I'm like, move. Like, I'm just going to climb on it. Like, get out of the way. And so like, we're trying to like, get things done. And um, the second doctor came in uh, because they have like residents and fellows and whatever. So the second doctor came in and she checked me and she was like, we need to get this going now. Like, this is, this is an emergency and I was like now panicking and um the anesthesiologist was like just um he was a student (laughs) and so he was like well I I have to wait for my you know my my higher up and she was like you don't have time to wait you need to do this now and so he's like blindly going into my back like without knowing what's going on and he's like you're gonna have to tell me when I hit the right spot because I can't tell I don't have an ultrasound I don't have anything here and I was like Okay, like how am I gonna know? And he's yeah, like, just how am I tell supposed me to know. So like my right leg jiggled and I was like, Oh, my right leg is moving. And then he did it again and I was like, Oh, it's moving less. And then all of a sudden I heard like a can pop. I heard like a k-ch-sh-sh. and Ooh. I said, Oh, I said, I, I said I heard a can pop, and he said, I'm in the right place. And I was like, Oh, well, thank God, right? And there was no local yeah. anesthetic for this, so he was going in just like straight pain because <sighs> it was an emergency. So everything went numb. And uh, I was told at the very beginning of the twin pregnancy that to expect there to be a lot of people in the delivery room. Um, And I think it's scary for people. So whatever. So... As they started, um, at the beginning of the C-section, they read off this thing and they are like, do you consent to this surgery? And I said, yes. And then um, they start reading off their names. They say their name and what their role is. And they're going around the room and I'm laying there for the first time in three months with no pain in my hips. And I feel like I'm just floating. Oh my And, gosh. I, and my husband comes in and he's by my head and I didn't even recognize him because of like the, the scrub gear, right? And I was like out of it and dopey on this meds. And um, they're reading them off, and I'm counting them as they're reading. And there's 22 people in the room present for this birth. Wow. And um, a lot of those being NICU doctors. um, Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. And so the way Dartmouth is set up, there's uh, the C-section room. And then there's this room off the side of it called the Koala Room. And it's like a heated room where they bring the babies immediately. And then on the other side of the Koala Room is the NICU. So um they literally just kind of swoop through. So um the first baby uh was born was my daughter. Um and she I didn't hear her cry. Like somebody had to come over and say, Can you hear her? And I had to like try to listen, as dumb as that sounds. Like I had to physically try to listen because I was so relaxed and out of pain for the first time in so long. <laughs> and I I heard her and I was like, I can hear her. And then my son came, and as soon as they cut his cord, he cried. So that was really good. But he was still intact. His water was still intact. So,
0: oh my gosh. Yeah. He was a mermaid he was, baby.
1: He was ready to just stay home. Like, he didn't even want to come out yet. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, So they, um, yeah, they brought, they brought them both into the koala room and the nurse the night before, as I had said, had walked me through some stuff. And she said, if they allow dad into the koala room, that's a really good sign. And if they don't, it means that they've had to intubate the babies. And I was like, okay, like, that's good to know. And so they came over and they said, do you have a phone? Do you want us to take pictures of them? And Andrew hands them his phone. And then she goes, well, do you want to come with us? And I was like, yes, go, 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 like, go, like, that's such a good sign. So he went, um, and he got to take, pictures of them and he got to see them and like hold their hands he wasn't allowed to hold them because they were um doing ivs and and breathing stuff they needed uh like they needed oxygen but they didn't need to be uh intubated which was great mm-hmm. um so then they like they swoop off with the babies i'd never get to see them and oh so my gosh you
0: never laid eyes on them
1: no not until eight o'clock that night they were born at 2 45 in the afternoon and i got to see them at eight o'clock that night. Uh so it, yeah, that was really, it was really tough to like, so then you go, uh, they take you back to the room. Right. And you're just like sitting there, can't feel your legs, like waiting for feelings to come back. And you're mourning, like you're excited because like, you've just had your babies and you're so excited, but you're mourning the fact that like, I didn't get to see them. I don't know where they are. I don't know if they're okay. I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know what they look like because all I've seen is like this quick snapshot of them and they just look like big, messy babies, right? Like they don't look like anything at this point. (sighs) And so I was really like sad and I was upset about it, but there was nothing like until you can walk, they can't bring your bed into the NICU. Right. So it was like, you have to get feeling back in your legs and then you can go see them. So, um, you know, I'm just literally sitting there, like eating dinner, and you're kind of like mourning this feeling of like, as a new mom, I should be like breastfeeding my baby, but instead, I'm sitting here eating turkey. <laughs> like, yeah. so it was yeah. like this really <laughs> awful feeling of like I'm feeding myself, but my babies aren't being fed. Um, so then, of course, they put me on a pump immediately because we're trying to like get things going for them, and nothing's happening. Um, oh, that's I'm feeling, the worst feeling. Ugh. I'm feeling so stressed about that. Like I was like, I literally was on a pump for 20 minutes and nothing came out. And I was like, they were like, it's okay. Like it's, we're going to have to make it happen. And like, whatever. And I was like, okay. Um, so I finally at eight o'clock, like I felt like when those like, uh, sales things that goes in front of a used car company, like when those people, uh, that (laughs) wave in the air. (laughs)
0: Was <laughs> like inflatable tube man Yeah, because like yes. my whole
1: top could do whatever, but my legs were like stuck in one place. But yeah. I I managed to get into that wheelchair because I was like, I'm going. Um, mm-hmm. So we go over to the NICU and the best part was is that the nurse who was on the night before was on this night. Oh, And so good. she was so excited. And like she took my phone before we even got into the NICU. Like you sanitize. She takes my phone and she says, I'm going to take pictures and videos. Just you just – be you because this is the version of what you're going to get that everyone else gets. Mm -hmm. Everyone else gets to hold their baby like straight out of birth. This is going to be your version of that. So let me like take pictures. So I was like, perfect. So that's what we did. It was great. Of course, we didn't get to hold the babies. They were in isolettes with IVs and oxygen and they needed to be temperature regulated. So we get to like reach in the little hole and hold their hands and like, you know, pat their heads. We did get to hold them eventually, but we could only hold them for a couple minutes because of the temperature regulation. Mm-hmm. So um we get to hold them for a little bit, do some skin on skin, and then they had to go back in. Um, so we I like I did not want to go back to my room. Like it was like nine o'clock at night, and I'm like, no, like I'm just gonna stay here. I'll sleep in this wheelchair. And my husband was like, we can't do that. And they were like, take advantage of this time, go back, get some sleep, blah, blah, blah. So I did, went back, was pumping, trying to do all these things. I was up every two hours trying to pump, trying to like stimulate milk production, trying to do all these things. It was awful. Um, So then, of course, we kind of just did the same thing the next day. Like other people get to like have their baby in the room and change their diaper. And I'm still wheelchair bound, um, you know, going over and like getting to hold my baby for two to three minutes and then hold the other baby for two to three minutes and then go back to my room. Because they can, they have to stay in the isolate. Also, they were on feeding tubes. So you don't get to feed your baby. They hang the formula in a little tube over their head. Like you don't get to feed. And actually, it was donated breast milk, which was fantastic.
0: Oh, that, yeah.
1: Yeah. But they don't, they don't feed. So you don't feed your baby um, because their mouths are too little. We tried them on like a micro preemie nipple and it was like they couldn't. We tried to like latch them, they couldn't. So it was like, sorry, like they're on a feeding tube. So uh, they were there for – I was in the hospital – like right next door from them. Um, by next door, I mean like a couple hallways down uh, for three days. And then they released us and we stayed at a local uh, place called David's House, which allows uh, parents with kids in the hospital to stay there for uh, just a donation.
0: Oh, wow. Um, so,
1: yeah, it was, we stayed there for 18 days, uh, all 18 days that the kids were in the NICU. We never came home and we just, uh, Every morning we would get up and we would go, be there for morning rounds, listen to what happened with them overnight, how much they gained, if they had any episodes. Um, Our son never had any episodes, but our daughter did. And if they have an episode, they have to stay for seven days after the episode, no matter what. So she was having episodes. She finally stopped having them. um, And at exactly seven days, we got to bring them home. So she was having them for the first 11 days, which is an episode for references when they slow their heart rate and their Breathing right, okay. Um, so during this time at David's house is when the postpartum really started to kick in, right? And I knew it was more than baby blues because baby blues is like I I don't know what it is typically, but for me it was like I want to be with my babies, I want to be at the hospital, yeah. Um, of
0: course, but for
1: me, uh, it started kicking in in nightmares. Um, and what that was is like I would have a nightmare that my phone was ringing and that they were calling me to tell me that she had another episode, mm. and I was like. Oh, okay. Like I was having these nightmares. I'd wake up sweating. Um, I had a couple other like strange occurrences that these were all around like nightmares. Um, and then I started having what I call daymares. I don't know what they're actually called, but it was where I would be in the car and my husband would be driving, and I would just imagine all these awful things happening to them. And I don't know where that was coming from. I was like, and I'd have to like, I'd start crying and I'd have to like shake myself out of it. It was so Awful. And so then I was like, okay, like maybe I should reach out to my therapist. But I was like too exhausted to because even though we were at David's house, right, I was still getting up every two hours to pump. Um, and I was still like trying to get through like my hips going back into place and the physical pain that I was experiencing from
0: the C section. Yeah. That the alone, mental pain that of a, not being a with that alone is yeah. so ridiculous to heal from. And of course, not being able to be with your babies through that.
1: Yeah. And that was like, uh, you know, like I would take videos of them, uh, just like laying there in their little isolettes. And I would try to watch those while I was pumping to like, you know, stimulate the hormones and things like that. But like when you're not physically close to your baby, even though you're seeing them, it's not the same. Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't give off the same like feeling. Um, so there was a lot of like, complexities and then things that you don't expect to trigger you um are things that seem really petty and like you should be happy for someone else but you can't be so in the midst of all of this um I'm pumping right and I'm pumping for twins and I'm like oh I got two ounces right and I was so excited and I put it in the container that they give you from the hospital and I label it and you have to bring it to um at David's house there's no like uh, fridge in your room, but there's a breastfeeding kitchen where you can go and put it in the fridge is like perfect for breast milk storage. So I went up and, um, I went to go and put my breast milk in the bin that said like that it was for us. And, um, there's a woman whose bin is like right next to mine. And she probably has, um, I, I want to say maybe eight of the jars that I had
0: mm. that, and my
1: jar was like a third of the way full. And I was like, what the heck? And I was like, wow, like she's a boss, right? And that's how I (laughs) felt at first. And then you go back down to your room and you're trying to fall asleep at three o'clock in the morning and you're thinking, is she a boss or am I just not enough? And then I'm like, oh, I can't even feed my babies. Like I'm not even producing enough milk to get them through one feeding. Like I can't even feed my babies. I have to expect somebody else to produce the milk to feed my babies. So you start to feel like less than enough, right?
0: Mm -hmm. And-
1: your body's going through all of these changes metaphorically and physically, right? Like, you're going through all these changes. You're, like, you're going from, like, postpartum body to, like, back to your normal body, but it's not your normal body. And so, like, all of these pieces were, like, coming together. And one of the hardest things for me that, like, I would say was probably one of the things that pushed me over the edge one day was I... Um, like I said, I had two displaced hips. I had twins. I had a C-section. I'd also been in a labor for 11 days actively and didn't even know it. So yeah. my body was recovering in a lot of ways. And we get to the hospital one day and um, – Every day, Andrew had pushed me in the wheelchair, like up to the NICU and because it was on the fifth floor and it was like all the way down all these hallways. And so he had pushed me in the wheelchair every single day from the entrance. I'd walk from the car to the entrance, but he'd push me up and back down. And so anyway, um, I said to him one day, I said, can you bring the wheelchair, but I'm going to try to walk, right? So I made it up to the fifth floor on the elevators, but I couldn't make it down the hallway. So I got into the wheelchair. I was sore, and I had at that point already pushed it. My legs were still so swollen they didn't fit in my shoes. So I was like – I had my feet like jammed into my Crocs. And he pushes (laughs) me into the – yeah, like, I lived in them. Um, <laughs> but he pushes me into the NICU, and I get up out of the wheelchair, like, very carefully, and I walk over to sanitize my hands and my phone and, like, everything, and I go over to get my name tag from the front desk, and the woman goes, honey, you know it's really good for you to walk, right? I just mm. – I I just couldn't. I just – the tears ran down my face. And she didn't even apologize or anything. She just kind of nodded her head at me like, yeah. And I was like – you don't know that I just tried to walk. You don't know that I just had twins. You don't know that I have two displaced hips and that my tendons are still retracting back to where they need to go. You don't know the fact that I've had a C-section and that it was very traumatic, that my entire midsection is black and blue, um, that I'm not sleeping at night, that I'm having nightmares about my twins. I'm going through all of this stuff. And you have the audacity to tell me that I should know that I could walk, right? And I just stood there like tears running down my face and I couldn't even say anything. Like I was so frozen and I just walked away. And that Good is not you. previous Heather, right? Like previous Heather would have been like, wow, that was a really inappropriate thing to say. I would have communicated that, but I couldn't, I couldn't even talk to her. I was like, wow.
0: But you Part knew of me- your, you knew your limit. You knew your limit, and you walked away.
1: (laughs) And, yeah, and it was so tough, right? And so then we went into the NICU. We were there for hours, sitting in these hard chairs, trying to hold our babies, me trying to stand up and sit down and, like, do whatever I needed to do. We went to go and leave, and Andrew said, "Um, do you want to sit in the wheelchair? And I said, no. Mm. And we – I – in tears walked down the hallway away from this woman and we got outside of that door and I said open that effing wheelchair and I sat in it and I just cried the whole way and he was like what's the matter and I said that woman and I told him what happened because he didn't see it and he was so upset he was so angry he was like why would she say that and I was like I have no idea like I don't know what her agenda was but I do know how much it hurt me so I was like But so from then on, it was like, whenever we got to the doors of the NICU, I was like, leave the wheelchair out here. And I had to do this for a couple, like about a week, I would say probably 10 days before I was able to like walk the full length. And we'd even have to stop and sit on a bench and let me just kind of take a break. But I was like, I refuse to let this woman like be critical of me again because it hurts so bad. Um, So that was like a thing that had kind of like triggered. Right. And these all kind of like they come back to roll back around in like the first month that we're home.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So at 18 days, uh, they decide to let us go home. But what that actually looks like is not the typical way that people go home. Like, oh, hey, we're gonna, you know, put our babies in the car seat and we're gonna go home. We had to bring home one of our babies on a program that they called Hope Grows at Home, which is where she came home on a blood ox machine. Um, She came home with a feeding tube Uh, we had to be taught how to place a feeding tube. I placed her feeding tube that she came home with. Um, we had to be taught, uh, basic life-saving for, um, NICU infants. We had to watch like a series of 10 videos on uh, NICU babies and, you know, how they differ from a standard baby that you're taking home, Uh, how the trauma uh, that they have gone through for birth uh, raises their pain threshold. So you have to be aware that if they're crying really hard, that it's probably more concerning than a baby that hasn't gone through this experience. So we learned a whole lot about NICU babies and we bring them home and we get home and like it it was a process to get home because we're two hours away from the hospital. So we finally get home and, um, because it was so last minute to find out that we were getting home. My best friend had like this whole welcome home thing planned where she was going to put signs up out in front of our house and all this other stuff. But because she didn't even know we were coming home, like that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So we came home to like a house that had been empty for almost a month. Um, actually more than a month. So it had been empty it, there was like dust everywhere. Like our house had just sat, you know, yeah. like, like we didn't exist. Um, My mom did come over and like clean out our fridge and take, you know, like stuff out of it so that we wouldn't, but like we had no groceries in our house to come home to. We, you know, like we were just like coming home to this empty shell at like nine o'clock at night. Oh my and gosh. Yeah. So we get home and we're like, okay, like we're going to just go to bed. And of course that's when normal infant life started for us. Uh. So in that first month, the first four weeks, uh, we learned a whole lot about twins and the process of getting them up in the night. And thankfully, my husband was still able to be home with us for four weeks. So he had his last four weeks with us here at home. And so what that looked like was like he would get up with one baby and I would get up with the other as he was getting ready to go back to work, I was thinking like, I need to start being able to do this on my own because he works manual labor. Like he works uh, for a construction company. So there's a lot of like, you know, exhaustion, you know, of energy. So I was like, I'm going to take over so that I can like take care of them in the night. Like I'm going to be a stay at home mom. This is my job. Um So I started doing that. I was like, well, I'm going to get up. Uh, But the baby, um, our daughter who came home with the feeding tube, she also had reflux. This meant that like after her feeding, she had to be elevated 45 degree angle for 45 minutes. So I would get up and feed her and elevate her. And then I would, get, I would grab him and feed him, and then I'd get him back to sleep, and then I would pump for 20 minutes because I was bottle feeding them because they couldn't latch, they were too little. So I would then pump for 20 minutes, take care of that milk, wash the pump parts, get things set, get her back to bed, and then I would have about 40 minutes of sleep before we had to start this all over again. Oh my God. So this was happening, you know, like three times a night, every, every two to three hours. So I would get maybe two to three hours of sleep in a night, but in like 40 minute increments. Right. And that was if I fell asleep immediately. Usually I was so exhausted I did, but like sometimes, um, I wouldn't. And that 40 minutes of sleep usually consisted of nightmares. So I was falling asleep into a nightmare land. So I was awake and feeding, or I was spending all of my energy that I was supposed to be storing up dealing with nightmares in my sleep. And I'd be waking up, sweating cold, freaking out, like not knowing what's going on. Um, and th- so that was really tough. It was a, a a portion of my life that like, I almost like started to repress because I was like, I don't want to keep experiencing this. Um, we did have nurses coming To our house uh, to measure them weekly for the first like six weeks, I think. And on the sixth week, what happened was I was so exhausted from being up all night. Um, They always say like sleep when the baby sleeps, which is I think would be easier if there was one right? Yeah. But um, they didn't always sleep at the same time. So I didn't at first, like they're just on their own individual routines. So it was like, okay, but when one baby was asleep, the other one was awake and then they'd take turns. So there was no window for me to just sleep. Um, So I was like, okay. So I wasn't sleeping during the day and I wasn't sleeping very well at night. And this nurse had come in to like kind of measure them one day and my friends, I had two friends come over and one was like, I'm going to take care of this one. She's going to take care of that one. You go lay down and like get some rest. And, um, it was summer because I had the twins in August. It was so beautiful out in September. So we had all the windows open to our house. And one of the windows leads out to like the front entry area from where I was. And, um, Uh, there was a knock on the door and I heard it and I was like, oh, who's here? And I look out and it's the nurse. And I was like, oh, I forgot she was coming. And I didn't even tell them. And one of my friends, uh, thankfully, the more assertive one opens the door and she was like, can I help you? And the woman was like, I'm a nurse and I'm here to measure the twins. Now, here's the thing. I never told any of my friends that these uh, nurses were coming because it just, it wasn't something I thought of. They were like, my friend was like, um, Heather didn't tell us anything about this. And I was like, shoot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she was like, well, I need to measure the twins. And she was like, I'm sorry, but I'm not letting somebody in this house that, like, we don't know if they're supposed to be here or not. And I was, like, so thankful that she, like, held that boundary, right? But yeah. this nurse was so angry. And she was like, well, then you need to go and ask her. And my friend was like, no, I don't. Um, she is a new mom who's getting a nap for the first time in, like, six weeks. So no, she's not going to, we're not going to go wake her up and ask her if you can come in, like you can come back another time. And that was like kind of the end of it. And, um, the nurse was so rude to them that I felt horrible. Right. Oh, but man, I was like, yeah. so I ended up like, I ended up having nightmares about that. Um, which was stupid. Like my whole nap, I had nightmares about this, this interaction that to the point that I ended up calling the nursing agency and saying like, I don't want this woman coming to my house anymore. And they were like, well, she's the only one. So I guess you're not having services and ended it.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So then I felt like a horrible mom because I was like, now my babies aren't being measured. Right. So I like, I called Dartmouth and asked them to ship me a baby scale. And I started like measuring them and doing the, the nursing myself, which was like, this was supposed to be something that this agency was supposed to take off of my hands. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's supposed to be a set of trained eyes on them, and there wasn't. And I was so angry about the whole situation. Um, but it reminded me of that nurse that had told me, like, you can walk. Right. Yeah. And I was like, why are people so unhelpful? Like, it just, like, and it just triggered that piece in me again that, like, you're not good enough. Like, you're not doing enough. You should be able to stay up and stay awake. You don't need a nap. Right? And, like, so it was, like, triggering these pieces in me that kind of created this um, – inner dialogue that was like me telling myself I wasn't enough. And no matter how much everyone around me was like, Heather, you're doing amazing, or things are really great, or look at how happy your babies are. I was like, then why do I feel like crap? Like, why do I feel like I'm not enough? Why do I feel like I'm a horrible mom? And there was no answer to that other than this is welcome to postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, right? Like, yeah. That
0: was the answer. Did you recognize it for what it was in the moment? Oh, absolutely. You did. Uh, Because I I was
1: so, and I have to say this, because I was so proactive from the beginning of asking my therapist, like, what should I be looking for? What should this, what would this look like if it was going to present? And she gave me some really straight up answers of like, if you start questioning if you're good enough for your children, you're having postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like there should be, unless you are physically hurting your children or not meeting their needs on purpose, right? You're not a bad parent unless you're doing those things, right? So if you're hurting your child or you're saying like, I'm not going to meet your needs, Then, yeah, you probably are a bad parent. But if you're like, if you're actually trying and you're putting in full energy, but you just feel like you're not enough, look at your baby and are their needs met? And are they safe? And are they happy? And are they clean? And like, if they are, then this is a feeling and not a fact. So you have to remember that feelings are not facts. Just because you're feeling something doesn't make it true. It just means that like you're in your feelings and you need to work through that feeling. And what does that look like? And so thankfully for that really great advice, I was able to identify in those moments that like, hey, this is not a fact, it's a feeling. And I didn't know how to process through it, but I knew that like, it wasn't something that I could change.
0: Right, you recognized it and you recognized that you needed help.
1: Yeah, and there was, I mean, there was definitely times I would also say, there was a couple of times in the middle of the night, my son had some colic at one point um my daughter never did but she dealt with the reflux and then my son had kind of gone through this point where like he got gas like cuz he was a chugger like he would chug his bottle right and so yeah. some air would get in there and then he would get some gas and i'd be giving him you know like his gas drops and trying to like bounce him and work those out and i would i remember just sitting on the kitchen floor bouncing this baby going like i am the worst mom on the face of the planet like you deserve better than me i can't even i can't even get rid of your gas like what does that say about me like how am i going to mm-hmm. help you with bigger things in life if i can't even get you to burp and like that's how you start you start to talk to yourself like you're useless like you start to um have this inner conversation of like oh wow way to go you know like you would yeah. spill something right one time i spilled the breast milk and i was like oh great now my kid's not going to eat because i can't even hold a freaking cup right So, like, I was going through all of these things and, like, I tried not to let it get in the way of my marriage, right? Because I was feeling these things about me. But I would have to say to Andrew, I would say to him, I would say, I need you to tell me something nice. I need you to Mm. sit, like, because I'm a words of affirmation girl, right? So, you should always know your love language. So, I was like, I need you to tell me something nice. Even if I don't believe it, I need to hear it from your voice so that there's someone fighting the inner me, So for like every bad thing I say about myself, which is a whole lot every single day, I need to hear 10 things to fight off every one. So like just keep spitting out. And so like he would every morning on the way to work, he would send me messages and be like, you're a really good mom. Like you're trying really hard. And our kids are so happy and healthy and like all these things. And he would try so hard. But there were still times where I was like, why do you even want to be with me? Like I'm Mm. such trash." And he would be like, but you're not. And I'm like, but I am. And so like, it was like he couldn't convince me. And I know there was some times where for him it was defeating to try to be like the sunshine and I was just like a thunderstorm rolling in with like the anger and the, and the mean words and the hate of like of myself. I never reflected on him and said like, you're a bad dad. It was never him. It was always me. I was always the target of my own anger. And so the tough part about moving through that was being able to, like, identify when I was doing it. And so my therapist and I, we worked on this really great thing, which was, like, an affirmation page where I – she and I would sit down um, during our sessions and, like, take 15 minutes to write affirmations about myself that I knew. Um, so there was, like – it was a time when I wasn't in um, – because there's definitely, like, these episodes of postpartum depression where it's not, like – it's not – you're not constantly in this flow there's like there's these peaks that like happen where things get really bad and it's usually when you're on sensory overload and you're on like you're overtouched you're overstimulated you're overhearing you're oversmelling like everything is a lot right and so yeah. then you start to feel it in those peaks of like where everything's coming to like a metaphorical head and so what I would do is we created this where every week we had written some affirmations and I would take that list and I it was on my fridge and I would read it. I am a good mom. I am a strong person. I'm a wonderful mother. I'm a wonderful wife. I'm, you know, I'm a really good cook. I I love to read books and I'm very smart. And I'm, you know, like there was all these things that I could say about myself. And um, it allowed me to then remember and just kind of like get back to this place of like okay, also remembering that like you crying is not going to hurt your kids, right? No, nope. so it's like no, nope. okay, like going and putting them in uh, their cribs and and leaving the room and like letting them cry and giving myself five minutes. There was this uh, other part of this that kind of comes into play at this point. Uh, this was around four months old that this started happening. Um, it started getting better. Um, my twins were to that point where like they could hold their own heads up and they could play on the floor and like roll around and stuff. And that was really nice. So I was like, Oh, Hey, look like some freedom. Like I don't have to be (laughs) holding someone all the time. And so that was really good. So I listen to like Disney songs all the time. Like it's oh, so one do of the we. things that I love. And It's yep. like yeah, I've loved it my whole life. And so the Frozen soundtrack and Idina Menzel, like I just love her. So mm-hmm. I I've listened. I never seen the movie Frozen, but I'd listened to the soundtrack and I knew all the words. And so I was like, I bet this is a good movie, but I've just never watched it. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put my um, this person in my life had Disney Plus and was like, here, put on the movie and, like, watch it and relax. And so we did. And my daughter, who was the fussier of the two, my son would, like, play for hours. But, like, she was fussier. She wanted to be held and all these things. Um, she was captivated by this movie. And she was only a few months old, but she would, like, lay on the floor and, like, watch the colors. And, like, she would sing. Is as, as stupid oh. as that sounds, she would, like, ha, and, like, oh sing gosh. along with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like freedom, right? Like she was finally happy. And she was able to like sit in an activity chair and like watch the movie and like play with the toys that were in front of her because she couldn't see. It It was too far away at that point. But she could hear the music and I was like, this is fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, how did that make
0: you feel? I had
1: freedom to like shower. There were times where I think I'd gone like a week without a shower. It was disgusting. And I was like, I just, I just want to shower. I want to be feel human, like a like a person who can have basic needs, you know? Yeah. Um, and so at this point, also, just throwing this out there, I I had finally gotten to a point where I was like, I'm gonna stop pumping because I was getting like maybe an ounce a day. Mm. And I was like, this is pointless. Like, we're just gonna move to formula. So I was able to stop pumping. I had lost an Insane amount of weight. I've always been overweight most of my life. Um, but when I, before I got pregnant with the twins, I was about 170 pounds. When I had the twins, like when I, the last appointment, I was 210 pounds. Um, and then after I had them, when I went to my appointment to have my IUD put back in, which was around four months of them being about four months old, I, weighed in at like 148 pounds oh my gosh yeah I had lost so much weight from one not eating because I was so busy with them that I wasn't eating but then two also um breastfeeding was like taking up like all of these calories that I was able to get in so I had like almost withered away in my eyes like I'd never been that small and I was like wow like there's pictures of me and I look almost like a little kid because I'm so out of my body element right Um, so uh but yeah so at, at this point like i'm not meeting my basic needs but this this disney movie gives me the ability to do that right so i was able to take my baby uh, monitor camera and put it in the living room and i could bring the baby monitor with me to the shower and i would put on this movie and they would both just like lay there and play and i could take a shower and like a, you know like a quick 5 minute scrub down and i could feel like a human being again and they were both perfectly content and it, so it felt so freeing and so liberating. And like, I just felt like such a human. When the twins were about 10 months old was when my nightmares finally stopped. And when I say that, I mean, I had nightmares multiple times a night, every single night of the same like three nightmares. Mm. I wouldn't let anyone drive them in the car because one of the anxiety-driven nightmares was around car accidents. There was just so much. So it was a lot of like, that's how it was coming out. But I continued to see my counselor. I continued to have these conversations. There was a point where my counselor had gotten sick. And so she had to cancel a couple of our appointments. And then I just kind of fell off the radar. And my husband was like, Heather, like, you need to do this for you. Like, you need to get back on that. And I was like, I know. So I went about two months without seeing anybody. And then I hopped right back in it. And actually, I got a new counselor because I do believe that, like, counselor relationships, like, they take their course. Yeah, You get so much that you can from somebody and then you need someone new. So I got a new counselor. Um, and that's going – I'm still with her. It's going really well. I really like
0: her. Oh, good. Um,
1: And she has the ability – one of the things that I struggled with before – with before was that my previous counselor was like a nine to five and that's when my husband was at work. Mm -hmm. So I would have to like take nap time to do counseling. And that meant that I had no time for me. Like, Mm -hmm. even though, yes, I did. I didn't. And I needed that nap. Yeah. (laughs) Like I really did need the nap more than I needed the conversation. But yeah, so it was about, I would say around when they were a year old, things started like simmering down. Um, and I started to feel more like me right after they turned a year old was the first time that I went a night without them. Um, I went on a trip with my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law and my left them with my husband for the night alone. And it was the first time I'd gone without them. And I was like so excited to sleep and I could not sleep.
0: That doesn't surprise I, me.
1: No, I could not sleep at all. I was no. like, this is stupid. Like, I have the opportunity to, like, sleep through the night peacefully like a baby, and I am not. Like, I was up. Like, I swear, I was, like, hearing phantom cries. Oh, yeah. It was so disgusting. Like, I was like, Heather. Because my kids, they didn't sleep through the night until they were 15 months old. Um mm-hmm. And part of the reason behind that, that sometimes people are like, oh, you got to let them cry it out. Is like my kids were preemies. Um, So yeah, they were 15 months old, but they also, I was told they are not allowed to skip a meal. Like typical birth babies. Um they have the ability even around like 4 months to stop taking a bottle in the night and like sleeping. Mm-hmm. And um my babies were so tiny that it was like they need every calorie they can get. Like I have my my kids have been under the 10th percentile for all measurements up until recently. Oh, so wow. they're tiny and they're expected to be. They're twins and they were born 2 months early and all this other stuff, but yeah, it's just it's a so it's one of those things that like you don't take that opportunity, you know, like you wait for them and you listen to their bodies and when they're ready. And so my son started sleeping through the night around um, I 15 months and she was around 16 months. So it was nice to like finally, like now we sleep through the night and I like I can't even tell you one day I was sitting here and I woke up before they did. It was like six o'clock. I had some peace, right? Like I could just like lay here and exist. And I thought man, I wish I could give this 15 minutes to Heather one year ago. Like, how nice would it be to encapsulate some time and send it back and, like, give yourself a break? Because nobody – as much as I hate to say – I hate to say nobody because I did have one really key support person through all of this, but besides my husband um, that was a friend of mine. But nobody else saw me. Like, people would be like, oh, what can we help you with? But – It was like the things that I actually needed help with, they weren't willing to do or they weren't, you know, like they just didn't see it as something that was like actual help. Like, I don't need you to come and take care of my kids, but it'd be really great if someone could pick up my grocery order or it would be really wonderful if someone could just pick me up a coffee. Yeah. Because like I started to live off coffee at one point because it was the only thing that would keep me awake and hydrated. But yeah, like people don't, I, to this day now when like somebody gives birth, like the first thing I do is like, I wait a week and then I go like say like, hey, what's your favorite drink? And like go and pick it up for them and bring it to them or you know, what's your favorite sandwich or whatever. Like I can get that for you because sometimes even just the basic, like somebody feeding you is more, it shows so much more love than anything else could because you know that sometimes all you need is like someone to hold your baby and let you eat.
0: Yes. Mama needs yeah. her needs met too.
1: Big time. Yeah. But I mean, and, you know, like coming out on the other side of it, there's still on occasions uh, here and there where I'll have a nightmare. There's still, I still have to read that affirmation page and tell myself that I am not junk, that I am worthy, that I am all of the things that I used to be. I don't think I, little background about me, I've always been a hair and makeup girl. Like I always have my hair and makeup done. I, didn't do my hair or makeup for like seven or eight months. Mm. And that was really tough for me because it was like part of my identity. So I'd look at myself in the mirror and I wouldn't see me. I would see like naked face me and yeah. it was a very weird because I was like okay well but like I don't who am I going to put makeup on for like it's me and the babies I'm not um, my hair was up in a knot like 90% of the time on top of my head it still is because they like to pull it <laughs> right yeah yeah but like I didn't feel human and I went through this really strange grieving process that I also think I was very fortunate to be a stay-at-home mom for like the first year of their life. Um, But around eight months, eight or nine months old, I I said to my husband, I said, I think I want to go back to work soon. And he was like, really? Like you really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom? And I said, yeah, I did. But I don't think it's for me. Like I'm an extrovert and I like to be around people and I miss people. I miss talking to people. And I also like, I realized like there was some differences like with us going, with me going back to work, it was like, okay, like, We're going to need daycare. We're going to have all these expenses we don't have now, but we're also going to have income that we don't have now. And what does that look like? And all the complexities that go with that. So we had those conversations and um, we applied at uh, the daycare that, so before I had the twins, I worked at this daycare, right? And I had said that I got to be part of like building that curriculum and, and designing every part of this daycare, which is fantastic. So that was the only daycare I wanted my kids to go to because I knew it in and out. I knew their emergency plan. I knew their evacuation plan. Like I know everything. And so I was like, I'm comfortable with this. So that meant I signed them up in May and there wasn't any openings until September. So oh. it to wait four months, you know, to get daycare. Yeah. Um, but this really phenomenal thing happened for me that I would suggest for every single mom in my life. And it was this, my kids went started daycare on September 6th. And I did not start my first day of work until November 6th. I yeah. had two months where um, and of course we had to take the spot. Like it was like if the spots are open, you take them or they go to the next person on the list. Yep. And to get two spots at once was like huge. They started going to daycare. And so I was home without a job and I was um interviewing for jobs, but I hadn't gotten anything yet. I was being p- particular, like very picky. I was offered jobs and I was like, nope, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Like I'm looking for something that was very allowing of my time with my family. Um, and so when I finally got the job that I I took um, – I was able to say like, okay, like when do you want me to start? And they gave me a date. So from the time that that happened until my start date, I was able to like take a week and organize my entire house while the kids were at daycare. Mm. And I was able to like take a week and like go get my hair done, go get my nails done. I got a massage. I like went to a sauna and just like sat there, you know, like all of these things. You got to learn you again yeah, I get to like transition back into being me, like out from being like the stay-at-home mom to being me. There's two sides of me, right? Like there's this working mom now that like I work Monday through Friday, Um eight in the morning until four at night and then I go get my kids like then the rest of my life is wrapped around my kids And like I miss seeing them every day But like the daycare that I have like has an app and they send you pictures of your kids and what they're eating and what they're doing And so I am involved in every portion of their life right now But it also allows me to be so like that Time from four o'clock in the afternoon until they go to bed at 7 p.m That three hours is about them My entire Mm -hmm. life wraps around them. And then our weekends, it's like we don't – you know, like we get a babysitter here and there, but it's like the babysitter starts at like 7 p.m. when they go to bed. Like we're like, no, you can come at 7. We want to spend time with our kids. We just like (laughs) would like to go and do something while they're sleeping. So like we'll put them to bed. You come in and hang out. Like so like we're trying to like transition into those things and everything is done, you know, in our house like very effectively. And this like whole thing kind of just like came back full circle the other day with the spilled milk. So when uh, the kids were a couple months old. I was, I had Sawyer and I had the, I was getting ready to put him, that's my son, to put him to bed. I had the thing of breast milk and I put it down. And of course, you know, like the, the flange that's still on it from on the pump, I put it down and it makes it top heavy. So it fell over and that's when the milk spilled. Right. And I remember just sitting on the floor, bawling, uncontrollably bawling, like, couldn't breathe snot running down my face like <laughs> holding my my you know brand new few week old baby boy staring at him saying like i am not good enough for you like i can't even keep milk in my hand right to the other day at 18 months old, I went to go and make him. So I make them, one of the things that they have to supplement their weight is carnation instant breakfast. So I was making the carnation instant breakfast and I was like, oh, I forgot a spoon to mix it. So I walked over to grab it and he's in his booster seat at the table, right? And he sees this whole gallon of milk right there (laughs) and he grabs it and he pulls it and it goes all over him, all over the floor. There's a whole gallon of milk, right? Oh God! And I turned around and I was like, Sawyer. And he looked at me and he he went, Ooh, right. (laughs) And I laughed and he laughed and I walked over and I looked at him and I said, wow. I said, mom made a really bad choice by leaving that by your curious hands. And he just like looked at me and he was like laughing. And so I handed him a little like washcloth and I said, okay, you need to wash the table and I'll wash the floor. It was everywhere. Like we had to mop the whole house. Like that's how bad it was. (laughs) But like, but I was like, uh, you know, in that moment, I was able to, you know, come full circle and laugh about this filled milk a year and a half later,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, and
1: like say like, okay, this really isn't a big deal. But like it was a year and a half ago. I was ready. I, I was in my head, like this world would be better off without you because you can't even hold a cup of milk in your hand. And a year and a half later, I am laughing with my now 18 month old kids. Like I was on the floor mopping up milk and my daughter (laughs) is like giggling, you know, and she's (laughs) like, what are you doing, mom? You know, like you're so silly. And like, I'm, Sitting there going, like, I made a bad choice. Like, I left that within his reach. Like, it, he's a baby. It's not his fault, but, like, this is my fault. And it's my fault, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, You know what I mean? And so it just came full circle. And to me, that was, like, so revitalizing to be able to look at myself and say, like, I'm human. I make mistakes, but I'm still a good mom. And like, I didn't yell at my kid. I'm still a good mom. I didn't, you know, like my kid still has milk to drink because we had more milk in the fridge. But like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was just, it was so nice to be able to see that in my own moment and like not lose my cool with him or myself or the situation. I was just like, oh man, like this is a. <laughs> bummer and like that's who i was before i had kids like i would never have cried over spilled milk i would have never gotten upset it was just like yep the milk fell <laughs> like whatever yeah. so yep. it was so nice to see that person in the mirror again and be like there she is
0: I want to make sure i take a moment to thank heather again for sharing her story with us if you'd like to follow along with us on quiet connection you can find us on facebook instagram and tiktok at quiet connection or at quiet connection podcast You can also find us on all your major podcast platforms. Join us next time where another story is told and you realize you're not alone. I see you.